Good morning, beloved, dear brothers and sisters. We'll continue our study, the I Am Statements of Jesus. If you turned in your Bibles to John 6 this morning, John chapter 6. beginning in verse 22. Before I read, uh, allow me to open in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, um, another Lord's Day morning, uh, the privilege and blessing we have to gather together. Um, grant us um, deeper insight into the um, image of you, the invisible God, by way of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Verse 22, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowds saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never hunger thirst. And this then ends the reading of God's word this morning. Uh, last week, um, we observed the profound depth of the I am statement. I'm um, going back to God revealing himself to Moses by way of a burning bush that wasn't being consumed in Exodus chapter 3. And there, um, God says of himself, um, I am that I am. where, as we studied, his, his divine name um, tells us many things about the character of God. And the first thing that we focused on is the, is the fact that uh, um, he is self-revelatory, that God must reveal himself for us to know him. We cannot understand God apart from divine revelation. We cannot philosophize God. We cannot psychologize God. He must reveal himself um, if we are to know him, for he is self-revelatory. The second point we looked at is that he's self-referential. That is, that he compares himself to himself, saying, I am, 
that I am. Hebrews 6.13 tells us that God made a promise to Abraham swearing by himself, for there was no one greater. In other words, I am the only one who is like me. Nothing can capture the totality of my essence um, or being. Um, the third point we looked at is that, he, that he's omni-historic. Um, um, he spans all of eternity, significantly attached to the past, present, and future. Uh, we see him in Exodus. They're in the present before Moses um, revealing himself um, by way of the, the theophany of the burning bush, and he speaks of himself in the present. He speaks of himself in the past. He says, I am the, 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 the God um, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, Moses' um, ancestry. And then he refers to himself as the God of the future in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15. He says, this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So uh, the God who is transcendent, that is beyond experience, um, condescends in imminence, that is to be um, experienced. Exodus shows us that, that I am speaks, I am sees, the I am hears, he, he spoke to Moses. He said, I see the affliction of my people. I hear their cries, and I know their sufferings. And then he comes down. He, he condescends to deliver. So the I am who, who sees and hears and, and knows comes down so as to, lit, to deliver um, those who are his. So God, whose name is so lofty, um, I am that I am, um, his locus of focus is the lowly. Our lofty Lord condescends to deliver the lowly, um, a people who are not regal. They're, they're not noble, but are slaves. They have no power. They have no dignity. They have no control. They've been slaves for 400 years. And here he condescends, reveals himself so as to deliver his people. Now, we, we closed with the statement that the story of I am does not um, conclude in Exodus. Thank God for that. Amen? Throughout redemptive history, um, he, he comes closer and closer until finally um, he, he takes on human form. Um, that is, um, he is the, the son of Abraham, the son of Moses, the son of David, Son of God, who speaks. He is the word personified. I am. And here in John, uh, we, we see um, what would have been regarded as, as something bordering blasphemy, where Jesus, he doesn't merely refer to that name as some external principle, but here... He says, in essence, that he's the embodiment of it. I am. So he doesn't just say, I am, period. He says, I am, you know, followed by an object or thing behind it, as we shall see in the coming weeks. And that teaches us two things. The first 
is that he's claiming for himself the very authority of God. He's claiming himself the personality of God. And then secondly, he says, I am going to give you something that only God can give to you. Is what we see in these seven I am statements of Jesus. So the first of the seven sayings we see in verse 35, um, I am the bread of life. Bread is something substantial. It's, it's, it's filling. It satisfies hunger. It's very important. It's a dietary staple. Surely wasn't that day. Jesus didn't say, for instance, you know, I'm the, I'm the broth of heaven. Broth, I like broth, you like broth. It, broth. it tastes good, but it doesn't satisfy hunger. Bread goes well with broth, but he's the bread of heaven. For bread satisfies deep hunger. So let's look at the setting. Context for the setting is that Jesus just fed upward of 20,000 people miraculously by way of some loaves and some fishes. Um, and it was a true miracle. Okay? It wasn't like liberal scholars claim. It was the miracle of sharing. Right? Unbelievers. It was the miracle of, 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 of sharing. They like to argue that the real, the real miracle is that, that people were very kind on this day, loving one another, and they, and they all shared their lunch. That's nonsense. So our Lord's miracle in the wilderness east of the Sea of Galilee, they had no doubts in their mind that this was a miracle. And that was a demonstration that he is one greater than Moses who can provide food in the wilderness. So once this happened, the people start thinking in their minds. As they look at this, the mob sees this miracle and they're thinking, wow, he provides physical sustenance and satisfaction. So they start connecting the dots. They start thinking back to Moses when God provided manna in the desert. And as they connect the dots, the, 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 the dots form a crown, if you will. And they're ready to make him king. Remember? They're ready to make him king. And then Jesus leaves, departs. They make a committee, want to make him king. It's the wrong kind of king. Jesus knows men's hearts. He's John chapter 2. He knew it was in the heart of men. He departs. He, he walks onto the Sea of Galilee um, during that storm. He calmed the sea before proceeding with his disciples in the boat to the other side, to Capernaum. The next morning, the crowds, if you recall, um, follow him um, around the lake, and they're quite surprised to find Jesus the next morning in the synagogue teaching in Capernaum, wondering how it was that he made his way there so quickly. Notice verse 25, Rabbi, when did you come here? <laughs> verse 26, Jesus answered them, Notice this, right, right to the point. 
truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs. Okay, that is a miracle with a bigger meaning. But because you ate your fill of the loaves. He says, you only came here because you ate lunch yesterday and you're back for more. Like a gathering of animals all foddered up are back for another load of fill. That's essentially what he's saying. Let me tell you why you're seeking me. You had your bellies filled yesterday, and you're back for more. And he says to them in verse 27, do not labor for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. I will give this to you. And then he gives them a a history lesson of Israel's manna experience with Moses. Notice in verse uh, verse 49, uh, your fathers, I'm going to jump around in this chapter, by the way. In verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the desert and they, they still died. Don't labor for food that perishes. Okay, instead, seek that food which leads to eternal life and the Son of Man will give it to you will give it. So identifying himself as the son of man, that's the eternal figure described in Daniel chapter 7, 7, verse 13 and following. Jesus tells those assembled in the synagogue that day that Yahweh has set his seal of approval upon Jesus, verse 27. So the miraculous signs that, that Jesus performed throughout the Galilean region are proof that he has been sent by God. And these miracles are a sign. Sign points to something greater than itself. A sign as to his divine credentials, if you will. He's no magic Messiah. So he's essentially saying here, I'm not your Moses And you, y'all, are in need of much more than lunch. So your problem is so much more than a temporal concern for food. Um, You have a mortality problem. You're going to die. Now, does daily bread have its place, beloved? Yes, it does. Jesus actually tells us that it's permissible, not only is it permissible to pray for daily bread, it's, it's prescribed by God himself. Pray for daily bread. So daily bread, very important, provides um, relief from hunger pangs. Material goods provide pangs, or satisfies the pangs of life, rather. So it's legitimate um, to to care about bread, to care about things that sustain us day by day. So it's okay to pray for those things. God actually tells us to do so. Uh, But the problem with this mob is that they were looking only for temporal gains. From, you know, a genie kind of messiah. One who can make, you know, the present less painful. 
make debts disappear, things like that. But Jesus, again, he knows the people's hearts. He knows what they're truly after. He knows what they're truly about. And here they're seeking him for self-centered, um, short-sighted motives. Which is far more telling, by the way, of unbelief and superstition than it is true belief. So anyone to this day who seeks Jesus for those things, that's a sign of unbelief. So he, he wants to give them something not less than that, but more than that, much more than that. But he wants to set aside daily bread for a moment to teach them something deeper, and that is about eternal bread, eternal bread. But verse 28, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, that question conveys how badly Jesus has been misunderstood by this mom. He's offering them eternal, eternal life, and instead they want bread that never rots. All they can think of, notice, is what we must do to get this bread. What do we do? Be specific, Jesus. What work must we do to get this bread? Now remember, they, they had been catechized by self-righteous Pharisees, and sadly, it shows up here. And they don't even hear him say, I will give it to you. Instead, they say, what must we do? You know, to this very day, pro proclaiming gospel grace, grace plus nothing, it's often responded with, you know, there must be something I must do. None of that cheap grace for me. I'll earn my way. There's got to be something I must do so I can be sure that my transfer to heaven is a good one. James Boyce, the late great James Boyce, comments on this in his commentary on John, which I forgot at my desk if someone would go grab because I want to quote him at the end. Would you go to my desk for me? James Boyce says, The human mind is always flattered when it is conscious of doing something for God. What is more, for his doings, man considers himself entitled to a reward. You know, at least some spiritual push-ups are required. That's our thinking. Build this reputation for myself rather than just press in to, to, to the source of life, the bread of life. But I love his retort. Notice. Jesus says, okay, you want to work? I'll give you some work. Here's the work. Verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. There's your work, believe. Remember, those who were brought up at this time in Judaism, you know, Second Temple Judaism, if you will, thought that someone entered the covenant by way um, of election, i.e., you're born a Jew, 
And then you're, you're, you keep your place in the covenant by way of human activity, that is circumcision, right? You're circumcised. And, and then you strive to keep the 613 laws of Moses taught by the Pharisees. So therefore, what Jesus says here makes very little sense um, to the crowd. Thank you. I'll earn my way. Jesus said, the very thing you need, what you need is what I'm providing. And the work is to believe in me. They say, God gave our ancestors a sign. God gave our ancestors a sign in the wilderness. What sign will you give us as though he hasn't provided enough? to reveal your identity. In response, verse 32, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This is a critical point, by the way. If you notice, Jesus does not say, I come from Bethlehem, house of bread. He does not say, I come from Nazareth. No, the Son of Man comes down from heaven. Provides true life for all who partake. You know, when we think about the the, the ascension of our Lord, um, taking the place of, of cosmic authority, over the universe, as the, as the resurrected God-man. Like the human, the glorified human God-man, Jesus, um, was the result of his victorious descent. John 3.13 says this, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, the son of man. So in his ascension, he's simply returning from where he came in the first place. So in this discourse, in John 6, he draws attention to to his heavenly origin. I come from heaven. The Father has sent me. I am the bread of life. Partake of me and you'll have eternal life. Verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then in verses 36 to 40, all who partake of this bread will be raised up, on the last day. And then in verses 41 to 44, we we see affirmation that there is a body of people, that there is a group of people the New Testament refers to as his elect, those that the Father gives to the Son. And he says, all that the Father has given to him will come to him, verse 37, 
And then in verse 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up the last day. So there's a necessary precondition. The Father must, for without which they won't. Now, it's funny how numerous commentators, when they come to this verse, they sweat. You, you can see their sweat in their writing. They, they mumble and they dance all around this. But, but these, of course, are the very ones for whom Jesus prays in John 17. He says, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those that you, Father, have given me from out of the world that they will be one as you and I are one. Jesus said again in verse 65, notice, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is what? Granted him by the Father. In other words, no one is able to come to me unless. Okay? You can't and you won't unless. Unless the Father draws, not woo you. He's not there like, come on, please, please. No, woo, drag, drag you. Effectual. It's a drawing that's effectual. Because if you're left in your natural state, you'll never come to me. A leopard cannot change its spots. By nature, you're a leopard. By nature, you have spots. So in your natural state of corruption, you are powerless to come. So unless the Father draws you, you won't come. Those who are drawn, they will come, and they will partake, and they will have eternal life. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, many listeners on this day, they heard him and they left, verse 66. They departed. They were grossed out by the idea of cannibalism. Friends, remember this. Jesus very often spoke of spiritual matters by way of stark physical images. Time and time again. And he was often misunderstood. And what we must recognize is that he doesn't correct people's misunderstandings. Nicodemus, how must I inherit eternal life? You must be born again. What? Enter my mother's womb a second time? Okay, he was a PhD guy. He knew Jesus was speaking metaphorically, but he's thinking, man, that, this is absolutely impossible. And he was right. Jesus responds, flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. You must be born again. And then he goes on and talks about the wind. Blowing where it wishes. You do not know where it comes from. You do not know where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. Well, okay. Now, now you're talking about birth and re, being reborn from heaven, and now you're talking about the wind. And... Look, all that to say this. In John 6, eating is another way that Jesus speaks about believing. 
Eating is another way that Jesus speaks about believing. The bread of life discourse is about faith because belief in, the, in this discourse is mentioned 10 times. 10. He describes eating and believing in the same way. The source of believing, the source of eating, the Father. He's the source. He describes what was sent in the same way. The sun was sent from heaven. Bread was sent from heaven. He describes the result in the same way. Eat this bread, embrace the sun, you have eternal life. Notice, he speaks about believing. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Then he talks about eating. Verse 33 says, for the bread, the bread of God, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So believing and eating mean the same thing. So why then does he use body and blood imagery for faith and belief? What, what, you know, why not more mild, pleasing metaphors? Quite simply, beloved, because the object of saving faith in the New Testament is not a tidy Christ. It's a slaughtered one. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Eat in my body, drink of this cup. So the object of saving faith in the Bible is not a, a miracle-working sage, like a lot of people like to think of him this day, or a good teacher, someone who provides good advice. He's a substitutionary sacrifice who bleeds until he dies. This is my blood shed for you means this is my life given for you. Life is in the blood. So eating this bread is referring to faith because faith is not merely something that we give mental assent to. We have to ingest it. We have to digest it. By, way, by the way and the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the word is proclaimed. Here's the facts. We, we, we give mental assent to the facts, and then we embrace the facts. We ingest the facts. We ingest, we, we ingest Christ, digest Christ. We're in Christ. We truly believe Remember how the reformers recognized true faith, those three Latin terms? Notitia, 
a census and fiducia. Notitia, a census, fiducia. Notitia, notification, notice, fact, refers to the content of faith, the content of the gospel, those things taught in the scripture. A census is our conviction about those things, that the convictions regarding the content of the faith, that is, notitia taught in Scripture, we believe. We believe the facts. So notitia, a census, we give assent to it. We, we believe the facts. And then fiducia, we embrace that. We embrace it. Personal trust and reliance in Christ, dependence fully and completely in his gospel for salvation. Because even demons believe and they tremble. So you can believe the facts. That's why the language we read in, in scripture for believers is that we are in Christ. We're, we're in Christ. The Holy Spirit indwells in us. He is in us. We are in him. We are in union with God through Christ. We are one. We've taken in the bread. Broken. We consume. We partake of him. Because we're in him. That's what communion set before us every month represents, amen? Amen. That's why it's only for believers. Vital to the gathering of God's people. And that's something we are reminded of every month. We, we commemorate that, we celebrate that, we participate in that, and we participate together because we're in union and we anticipate his return. The bread of life. And we do so with thanks. So the bread of life, believing his gospel, you believe and you understand, okay, we have a substitute. Substitutionary sacrifice who laid down his life. So then you can know for certain you are, you are loved by God. He sent bread from heaven to, to partake of, to, to believe in, to trust in. And therefore, your eternal future is secure, just like Jesus promised this mob on this day, most of whom walked away. Remember what, what Jesus did when they walked away? He didn't wring his hands and say, please come back. He turned to the 12 and he said, you want to go with him too? Peter answered, we have nowhere else to go. You have the words of what life? Eternal life. Eternal life. Because of the blood that was shed for you. Bread. Come down from heaven. So let me close with uh, another quote from Boyce. Think about this. <clears throat> quote, have you ever thought about all that grain must pass through before it becomes bread? It must first be planted and then grow. When it is ripe, it must be cut down winnowed, ground into flour. Finally, it must be subjected to the fiery heat of the oven. 
Only by this process does it become able to sustain life. This is what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ in order that he might become your bread. He was born into this world. He was bruised. He was cut down by sinful men. He passed through the fires of God's holy wrath as he took your place in judgment. This is his glory. He suffered this for you. How then can you refuse to feed upon him? Come to him, draw from his fullness, and grow strong. End of quote. Amen. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Amen? Father, we thank you for bread come down from heaven, sent by you, given for us, given to us. May we understand more deeply the riches of your truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.